welcome to You Can't Kill Me, a podcast about Slipknot. In most of our episodes, we, Chris Nee and Dave Musson, dissect one Slipknot song and try and rank it against the others. But in some, we're doing things a little bit differently. And today we are delighted to welcome to the show one of the UK scene's most insightful and incisive voices. It's a huge You Can't Kill Me welcome to Serena from Svalbard. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited about this one because um, we, we've we done a couple of these already. Your name has come up more than once, um, <laughs> which is great for us because we already had you scheduled. We've heard little stories here and there about email addresses and following <laughs> a certain band around. I'm dying, Serena, to hear your side of the story. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh- I'd actually like to kick things off with a little Slipknot joke. Do you want to hear my Slipknot joke? Of course. Yes. Uh, what is Jim from Slipknot's favourite thing to play on guitar? It's not a root note, is it? Yeah, root oh. note. <laughs> oh, the guitarists are talking. I'll just stay quiet. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> are we going to rate that one out of nine, Dave? Uh, not while Serena's still on the line, no. <laughs> Tell us about the early days of Serena and Slipknot. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a scope of how obsessed with Slipknot I was, my first email address was slipknotarmylife at (laughs) hotmail.com. Unfortunately, now unactive, that email address. But I was obsessed with them. They were the band, they were my gateway band, um, the band that sort of got me in to metal and like even now they hold that special place in my heart and I kind of feel that Slipknot had like they weren't just a metal band it was you know they I talk about them like they're dead they weren't they're not just a metal band they've got that kind of cult um sort of you know you feel like you belong to something when you're a maggot um yeah and I was uh so I was really obsessed with them I got into them I actually do you remember the self-titled album um originally came out with an extra well two extra tracks on it um yeah. one of them was pretty I have that um original I bought it in 1999 when it came out so I have that original one with purity on it which is still you know quite proud of owning that um uh, records there and uh, I was obsessed with them um, and yeah went to see them loads of, I'd got oh, if I if I open the floodgates I don't really shut up about Slipknot so <laughs> just tell me to be quiet if I start waffling on too much um, yeah I bought that album and uh, with my paper round money and just listened to it every single day knew every single word was you know went to reading 2000 to reading festival 2000 to see them um and yeah then the the obsession just grew and grew and there was actually i don't know if you remember this there was a kerrang slipknot special magazine um Mm -hmm. which was just called slipknot and it came with free slipknot stamps and it had little member profiles uh on each page and on the page, they would list their five most influential records. Uh, and those little pay- member profiles were so influential in d- me developing my music taste. Um, 
because I'd like my mum used to take me to record fairs. She's a record collector. And uh, I would read those and I'd read that, you know, Mick Thompson put Exodus Bonded by Blood. So I'd find it on tape in a record fair for like 50p and buy it. Great record. Oh, yeah. It is a great record. Nuclear uh, nuclear Assault, Handle with Care was on his list as well. I mean, <laughs> the useless things your brain remembers. <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, I noticed Joey listed a lot of Mike Patton stuff. So he had California by Mr. Bungle. What an album on his influential list. And I went out and bought that as well and obviously being like 12 years old it took me ages to get my head around that album but Slipknot like I was because I was so obsessed with them I wanted to listen to what influenced them so I ended up getting into lots of kind of more diverse and experimental and more extreme sides of metal quite early on through them um and then this leads me to, I mean, God, if we want to really go down the road of fandom. Um, yes, we do. I <laughs> I knew Joey was obsessed with Mike Patton. So uh, when I was at a record fair, I once found this like uh, bootleg split that was like a live split between Mr. Bungle and Phantomus. And I used all my paper round money to buy it for him. And I went to a Slipknot signing and I gave it to him. And I had written him a little note and everything about, you know, how much I love Joey Jordison. <laughs> and his then girlfriend at the time, like, chased me out of the HMV, you know, <laughs> ran to catch up with me and gave me a backstage pass. And, uh, I got to like hang out backstage with all of them. That was the Iowa Arena tour. That was at the wow. NEC. Yeah, and I got to like hang out with all of them after the show. And yeah, then after that, several times, like I'd always get to to hang out uh, with Slipknot a couple, you know, when they were playing. So there's there's every chance then if if that was NEC on the I if that was NEC on the Iowa tour and you were hanging out with them after the show, there's every chance yeah. you and I have have already met then because i was part of the oh, road really? the street team and i was in the the meet and greet after the show so in the room yeah uh, so i oh, was yeah. the girl in the red <laughs> boiler suit with the brown hair and the really okay. awful makeup <laughs> I, I'll, i'm gonna have to dig out my photos and see if you're in the background somewhere that would be that would oh, be God. something and i remember that i remember that kerrang magazine as well i i i read it so much it fell apart the summer it came out it just it was just my reading on holiday for weeks and weeks and weeks um yeah great memories yeah I can recite like every article from that magazine and do you remember the book as well uh by Jason Arnop slip yes. inside the sickness behind the mask mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's my on friend. my bookshelf behind me yeah me too Signed, me too <laughs> me and my friend used to call it the bible <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's pretty much my uh that's like peak slipknot fandom for me and i must admit sort of uh my opinions changed as they went on uh i don't really probably sacrilege to say this now but for me slipknot is the self-titled album in iowa and then after that i feel that they kind of started sounding like a four piece you know what i mean Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, no need to be cold. <laughs> in the sense of like, it doesn't have the sort of weird, the, the 
the weird layers and elements and kind of everything that made it so kind of like monstrous and demonic to listen to just seemed to be taken away like you close your eyes and you listen to a single from volume three and it could be a stone sour song and that was where i i really sort of um i I lost interest um around that album to be brutally honest with you and it's sort of come back a bit now because i think we are not your kind is a bit of a return to form Mm um yeah and i really i do really like jay on drums i think he's it's a weird thing to say because obviously Joey is a metal drummer, but the way Joey drums has like so much kind of flair in in and his tom work is very sort of um, almost like jazzy, whereas Jay hits like a metal player, and I think that that has made quite an impact on their sound. Hmm. Well, actually, I mean, talk, talking Joey and talking musical instruments, I seem to remember reading that. You said it was Joey that made you pick up an instrument in the first place. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing Slipknot had an influence on you as a musician then. So did, did you want to be a drummer first? Yeah, I played well up until recently. I, I do still play drums. Okay. Um, I played drums in, uh, there's a band from Bristol called uh, This Ends Here. They're sort of like hardcore, D-beat, blackened crust. Um, I was their original drummer. Um, I played drums in a Misfits tribute band called Ghouls Night Out. <laughs> cool. um, yeah, and I I started learning drums age 12 because I did. I just wanted to be Joey Jordison. I thought he was the greatest thing ever. And I, I learned drums, um, but I remember getting quite impatient with the lessons because the teacher wouldn't refuse to teach me double kick. He was like, no, you must learn all the boring snare drum rudiments first. And when you're 12 and into metal, you just don't see the link in the importance of learning that. So I got quite frustrated with, um, with learning drums, but yeah, I, I can actually play drums as well. And that's all thanks to Joey. <laughs> and, and did Slipknot any, have any influence on you? switching to to the guitar then or or is that more the frustration and not being able to get what you wanted from the drums um i wouldn't actually say that i switched because i've i've i'm still a drummer now Mm. like i jam with people on drums i just don't play drums in a big band but Mm. like you know even a couple of weeks ago I was jamming with uh, one of the guys from Hey Colossus and I was on drums. So like it was never a case of I I switched from drums to guitar. I think it was just more a case of um, I got better at guitar, maybe Mm -hmm. like drums. I find you you I I sort of hit a certain point where it's like I can, you know, I can hold it together in a sort of crusty punk band or I can hold it together. And I did a two-piece thrash band with one of the guys from Snowboard years ago as well. Um, can hold it together then, but I couldn't be like a technical metal drummer, I guess. So I guess in, I'm, I'm more limited with mm-hmm. drumming. So that's why I've never really like gone much further with it. But um, yeah, I mean like Jim Root, really, I was watching, sorry, going off on a tangent here i was watching that slipknot bbc documentary last night yeah and uh and just watching jim playing and like obviously it's really nice sort of 
the way it was filmed and made available and you can properly like see the close-ups of how they play live and I was just thinking wow isn't Jim is like phenomenal he's just Mm. such a good guitarist and uh, I think you know he was definitely well both him and Mick were influential in in me picking up a guitar as well and and do you think taking a sort of putting aside all of your your various um crusty side projects in terms of Svalbard (laughs) what what sort of debt does does Svalbard owe to Slipknot if if any lyrically uh it may not be obvious because my my way of writing lyrics is isn't you know metaphorical in the same way that Corey Taylor's is or, or kind of it's not it's not so emotive I'm more political but I think I definitely draw on that raw honesty that comes from a Slipknot song like Slipknot lyrics are kind of ugly and they're every part of yourself that you want to hide and they're every part of yourself that you kind of need a release for they're like you know just pure unadulterated rage and kind of they have that a lot of Corey's I think especially on Iowa have a lot of desperation behind them and I think that's always influenced what I look for when I'm writing a good lyric I look for that Corey Taylor impact you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah I'm surprised by that a little actually really yeah I've, I've got a question lined up later on which is almost the opposite of what you said which is your lyrics are so clear about the message that you give the listener and the media no choice but to understand the point that you're trying to make, I think particularly on, on the last album. Mm-hmm. And Corey deals in abstracts and, and metaphor. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about how you, you kind of share that share that root with, with that lyrical basis as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it like that. It's weird how influence and inspiration doesn't necessarily take the most direct mm. obvious yeah and and likewise having um seen you live albeit a long time ago now um it's, it's obviously a very different stylistic experience but it feels to me like it shares an intensity so just to focus on your band for for, for a minute for the uninitiated what should people expect from a svalbard show oh <laughs> no one's ever asked me that before um uh Svalbard show is I mean it's hard it's hard to say because I've never seen it (laughs) (laughs) um uh I guess it's kind of a bit cacophonous there's a lot kind of like a wall of sound but then there's the the beauty of the soaring melodies and the post-rock elements um there is a lot of kind of direct ranting and you know um there is a political stance that i take and i talk about that in between songs it's just very like cathartic um and raw and you know it's not svalbard you don't go and see svalbard to see a polished show that's not what we're about we don't ever want to be you know this perfect kind of oh it sounds just like the record it's more like it's a very human emotive uh experience in live music i guess yeah i can confirm (laughs) i i really enjoyed it It was quite an eye-opening thing because it was um i i took my brother to see funeral for a friend in rugby um so it's kind of a weird show really because it was Mm -hmm. um it was the band that later became wars i think was was first on so it was that kind of a load of local boys running around jumping up stacks and things 
and then a band I wasn't that interested in headlining. And then in the middle, this just whirlwind of noise. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And it's, you know, the, the albums have then followed and Dave and I did a podcast episode about the first album and uh, reviewed the second. So it's, it's all kind of goes back to that, that odd little moment of just loving it live and then getting into the band from, from that point. Switching back to Slipknot, they obviously went from kind of weird, then kind of angry and just got massive. Do you think that a band getting to that sort of level in a couple of years or even in 10 years is something that is a thing of the past? Oh, this is something I think about a lot because for the most part, I feel it's definitely a lot harder for bands to reach that stature. Like, you know, Iowa got to number one in the UK in the charts and stuff can, you know, I can think of some other incidences of metal bands getting to number one since then, like uh, Avenged Sevenfold did it about 10 years ago, I think. But uh, in terms of bands emerging within the last five years, uh, I would say it's like, it's, it's such a completely different climate now. You don't have, like record, even major record labels don't have the same amount of money to invest behind you to begin with to give you that kind of like first big push that first big boost which is gonna you know or even things like the Slipknot Rose through magazines they were on the cover of Kerrang, NME, Melody Maker, um, Metal Hammer all of those all the time but even magazine readership has dropped considerably since then so it's like it's very hard for a band to permeate in the same way that Slipknot did. But then I say all that, look at Ghost. They've done it. You know, they've they've sell out arenas now and they're huge. And it's kind of it's something I sort of I find myself I'm not I'm not certain on whether it is just harder to reach that stature or whether it's more to do with trends in music and stuff and and what sort of captivates an audience's imagination and what doesn't i think one thing that's clear from you know looking at the patterns from kiss slipknot ghost is a uh, gimmicky imagery is one of the most powerful things that you can pull off and basically sort of definitely aids you in uh, in people you know holding people's attention for your music hmm. yeah no it's, it's an interesting point so you're not you're not tempted to uh, to do something gimmicky for Svalbard for, for this uh, oh, next album to. then? I'd love to. Like I wish, honestly, I'm all about that. I'm all <laughs> about the. I love Ghost. I love the gimmicks. Everything. If we could have like you know sh- weird outfits and something weird, weird makeup, weird mask, anything like that, weird videos. Yeah, absolutely, do it. But unfortunately, no one else feels the same way. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to form another side project and just go all out weird well you say that i was recording today <laughs> oh oh wow okay yeah <laughs> more to come on that <laughs> okay we'll keep our, our eyes peeled for that so on these these interviews we're, we're doing a a quick fire round where it's 
just kind of off the top of your head answers, um, not really thinking too much about them. So I think it's time to, to launch into that. So it's obviously very Slipknot focused. Um, so let's mm-hmm. let's jump into it then. So to start with, what's your favourite Slipknot album? My favourite Slipknot album, it's interesting because it's changed. Originally, I would say self-titled. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, in the last year, I'd say Iowa because I went through... Um, a really hard time in the last couple of years. I uh, got diagnosed with um, a lifelong illness, uh, you know, had all these sort of uncertainties with work that comes through that, mm-hmm. relationships falling apart, all these kind of, you know, shit hitting the fan moments in the last couple of years. And Iowa is one of the albums that's got me through it. Like I stick on Iowa, go for an angry walk, have a stomp, listen to the uh you know desperation in Corey's lyrics and stuff and it's genuinely it's an album that's come back into my life to help me at a totally different point you know nearly 20 years later Hmm. um so I'd probably say Iowa now but originally if you'd have asked me that you know any time up until the last couple of years I would have said self-titled okay I've got an inkling as to who your favourite member might be, but I'll ask anyway. Fa- favourite member and favourite mask of theirs as well. Oh, okay. Well, obviously my favourite member was Joey Jordison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and my favourite mask was um, the Crown of Thorns one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, fantastic. But now if I had to say favourite current member, Jim Root. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. just, yeah. He's great, and I'm a big fan. All of his masks look amazing, but his most recent one is really cool as well. So, okay. yeah, Joey and Jim, all the cool. way. Cool, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you were to have a line or lyric from Slipknot's back catalogue tattooed to your skin, what would it be? <laughs> I was thinking about this one because my favourite Slipknot lyric <laughs> is, I want to slit your throat and fuck the wound. <laughs> But I'm not sure I'd want it tattooed. I'd probably, if I'm going for like Slipknot tattoo, I'd have the quote from the um, digipack of the self-titled album, which isn't a lyric, but you know where it says, cut your throat and keep walking worse forwards and backwards. Mm-hmm. Like on the inside of the booklet, I'd probably just have that. Yeah. So okay. Not a Slipknot lyric, but a Slipknot reference. <laughs> Yeah, and for just for your information, you're you're now the second person to reference the uh, slitting of the throat lyric um, as a tattoo. Um, <laughs> Who else said that? Sammy from Employed to Serve, and he he Did stuck he? with it. He was he was having that as a tattoo. Um, so yeah. Oh, fab- all right. Me and Sammy then joint tattoos. Let's do it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I get life. <laughs> and um, and lastly, on the quick fire round. Uh, the the big question, particularly given what we do in our new, our usual podcasts, what is your all time favourite Slipknot song? Oh, God, this is a hard one. This is really really hard. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go with a curveball and say prosthetics. Yeah, that, that is a curveball. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. It just like I remember. Um, I just think it's Slipknot at like their kind of darkest mm-hmm. and creepiest and weirdest. And like it, it's where they really start to not sound like anyone else. Like, obviously I love the ferocious, angry metal, you know, yeah. Like disaster pieces and stuff would be 
is like my current anthem. <laughs> um, but uh, prosthetics is like, I don't know, it's something else, isn't it? So going to go with that. So you meant you mentioned earlier, actually, Serena, that you kind of come back to Slipknot and um, on "We Are Not Your Kind." Um, mm. I mean, between Chris and I, we were we were big fans of it. It was Chris's album of the year last year, and my number two album of the year. So, t- tell us a bit more about what you what you thought of "We Are Not Your Kind." You mentioned earlier it was sort of a return to form. Like, just expand on that a bit. What what do you make of that album now? You've had a few months to live with it. Um. I feel like you know how Slipknot is a feeling. It's mm-hmm. not just a band. It's a it's a feeling when you listen to it. We are not your kind is the one that has that feeling again for me. Like uh, I wish I could put it more eloquently than that. But there's obviously self-titled and Iowa, which are, are the ones to me that is like archetypal Slipknot. Volume three doesn't have the Slipknot feeling for me personally. Mm-hmm. And same with everything that follows mm-hmm. from that. But then we are not your kind. It does. It 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 strikes that same chord in my heart, and I can't, you know, specifically sort of analyse exactly what it is about it as an album. But I remember, you know, checking out the first couple of singles when they started releasing stuff, and I was like, oh wow, it's it's Slipknot again. You know what I mean? There was just something about it that that really resonates with me as an album. Um, and like Unsainted, what a what a single. It's great, you know. <laughs> Like, what a chorus. Um, Super anthemic, but not in a kind of... Sometimes I feel in the albums that I'm less interested in, they do the anthemic thing, but it's quite watered. To me, it sounds watered down, whereas like Unsainted, it's anthemic, but it it sounds super like full and busy and big. Um, Mm. So, yeah, that's... It's just a just a great record isn't it it's got that bite back there's something there isn't there you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> yeah i mean we, we've both said when we've talked about it that there's there's that that spike that aggression that you almost don't feel like a band full of members the ages they are and the level that that band are you you very rarely see bands come back with that amount of aggression and i think that's a big part of why we are not your kind has really resonated with so many people because it's it's got that danger back about it hasn't it Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it feels like how I remember Slipknot feeling again. It sounds like something your parents really wouldn't want to hear you listening to. (laughs) (laughs) Should we expect a Slipknot cover at some point with any of these various projects that you're working on? Do you know what? We do it in our practice room sometimes. Excellent. uh, We've done Get This and we've oh. done um we've done Eeyore as well and we were talking about potentially recording them. the trouble is this is something i feel about all the best bands is they've perfected it already so to try and do a cover unless you're really going to change it and really add something that's completely different to it i'm kind of like oh it's just like a less good version of something that's already been done really well <laughs> um i mean i'd say probably there's more chance of us throwing it in live than ever recording mm. it but, but yeah we we do we do bust out the old uh, slipknot tunes in practice sometimes and um i can play i can play sick on guitar so maybe i'll do a solo cover of that <laughs> yes but yeah um it'd be nice you know we've, we've never really done a proper cover yet so um so that but slipknot would be a good choice i think for us i think we could uh make it quite 
different and interesting. Yeah. Than, mm. But it's super fun. Like, get this. Oh, my God. So fun to play. <laughs> I bet, yeah. The live scene at the moment is, without wanting to date the podcast too much, taking a bit of a knock. So at the end of these, we obviously ask the people we're speaking to what's happening with your band for the rest of the year and, and sort of beyond that. I think you've been in the studio, is that right? Yes, yeah, we've just finished recording our third album. It's going Hooray. to come out in September. Yeah, really excited. Oh, it's brilliant a, news. It's a bit of a curveball. It's, uh, it's quite different. So... I'm excited. I feel like it's the album I've always wanted us to make. Um, and it was quite cha- quite a challenging one. Uh, and it's not necessarily what people are going to expect. And some of the subjects aren't necessarily what I think people might expect from us lyrically. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to throw people a curveball when it's out. And then we'll hopefully be looking at doing some album release shows in September and then touring later in the year if, you know, we're not all dead by then. Quite. Well, um, we, we can't wait to hear the new album. I'm sure Dave will make the effort to get out and, and see a show as well. Oh, oh well, yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, and, and we will leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great to talk to a, a serious maggot that frankly puts both of us <laughs> in the shade. Um, thanks for having me. <laughs> Uh, you Can't Kill Me is produced by This Decay and we'll be back before you know it. See you later. Bye.